0: Hey there, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am the host of the Bible in Life, and I'm grateful for you. Glad you're joining me on this episode. The Bible in Life podcast is part of an overall online ministry that is just the Bible in Life online ministry that includes this podcast, It includes the Listener's Commentary. It includes a handful of online courses that you can access inside the Study Hub on the Listener's Commentary. And uh, just some other resources, articles and things that I end up writing kind of as a freelance writer for various locations and places. And this ministry is made possible by your... Faithful, generous support. And so thanks a ton to those of you who make this ministry possible. The impact that together we're having around the world continually ceases to amaze me. I get emails from people in places like Nepal or Kenya or uh, Scotland and other places in the UK, uh, places in South Africa, and it is amazing to me that God is so gracious and kind-hearted that he would take this simple little offering of myself and use it for his purposes and glory. And my prayer is that he would use it to help uh, all of us live as disciples of Jesus and make more disciples of Jesus. And so thanks a ton to those of you who faithfully and generously support this ministry. As we come to the end of the year, uh, I want to just invite those of you who are listeners to this podcast uh, to prayerfully consider, if you're able to uh, give a maybe an end of the year donation to the ministry or set up a a monthly recurring donation that would continue to support this ministry into 2023. Um, The Lord is just opening doors. There's more things that I want to do. I'm pretty much a one-man show with a little bit of help here and a little bit of help there. And uh, it all just takes financial resources. There's a couple more classes I want to add to my online courses inside the study hub that I think will be really valuable to people from the kinds of questions I get from people. Obviously, there's um, just uh, more materials I want to create for the hub. I'm getting to the point where at some point, Lord willing, I may need some administrative help and that just costs some money as well. So if you're able to, Uh, Would you prayerfully consider uh, giving a gift to support this ministry as we come to the end of this year, or a recurring gift that would take us and sustain us into 2023? So thank you to those of you who already give and support this ministry. It is such an encouragement to me, and I thank God for you on a regular basis uh, each month as your donations come in. So thanks a ton. And in this episode, what we want to do is continue a series we began last week because um, we're deep into the Christmas season, traditionally what is called Advent. So I wanna, I'm want to. i doing this little series uh, around the theme of Advent, but really it's a series through the story of the Bible to remind us that the Bible tells a story, that as followers of Jesus, we have now been invited into this story. We have a role to play in this story, and that story involves an awful lot of waiting. And Advent traditionally... Um, revolves around that theme of waiting, and hence the reason I'm tying this in with Advent. And so last week, we began this Advent series looking at Abraham and the initial promise to Abraham that God would give him descendants like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore, that he would give him the land of promise. And that began this promise that would carry through then through the descendants of Abraham leading up to the Messiah, Jesus. And then from there out through us as followers of Jesus today. And so Advent has really two senses of waiting. There was the initial sense of waiting, waiting for the promised Abraham to be fulfilled so that Messiah would come. And now that Messiah has come, waiting for Messiah to come again. That's what Advent is all about. And that word Advent has to do with appearing or coming. And so, uh, Prior to Jesus' first coming, there was waiting for the advent of Messiah's first coming. And Messiah came in the person of Jesus, and yet uh, everything that God had promised didn't happen with that first coming. And so God's people still are waiting for the coming, the advent of Jesus again. And so This is the big story of the Bible. And so we're looking at just parts of that story, telling that story to remind ourselves that this is the story we're a part of so that we can be shaped and uh, formed by this story as well as rooted in our place in time and history, rooted in the story to know who we are and where the story is going and what it means to be the people of God. And so that's the series we are in. And last week, we began that by talking about Abraham and the promised Abraham. And then from Abraham, that promise gets passed on down to Isaac. And Isaac was the initial uh, fulfillment of the promised Abraham. God had said, you're going to have descendants. They're going to be like the stars of the sky. Abraham waited and waited and waited, made mistakes while waiting. And finally, 25 years after that promise was initially given, God gave Abraham and Sarah a son, a son named Isaac. And Isaac is the initial fulfillment of the promise. But having one son, and then a few sons after that, isn't like stars in the sky and the sands of the seashore. More waiting was required, and the promise was re- repeated to Isaac that he was going to uh, have descendants, and the blessing of Abraham would be passed on to him. Well, then Isaac waited, and Isaac had... Two sons, Jacob and Esau, and the promise then now carries on through Jacob. In fact, it was restated to Jacob, uh, this very promise. Listen to these words from Genesis chapter 28, uh, where it says this, this is, Jacob is on his way north to find a wife at Isaac's instruction, and Isaac had told him that God's going to bless you with the blessing of Abraham, you're going to take possession of the land that God promised Abraham, and so Jacob is on his way here in Genesis 28 up north to find a wife from their relatives and their families, and uh, he, he has a dream at the Uh, area of Bethel, or house of God is what Bethel means. And in this dream, the Lord spoke to him, came to him and spoke to him and said, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And then he restates the promise. And I will give to you... And your descendants, the land on which you are lying, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And so God restates the promise that he had given to Abraham. He restates it to Jacob. And Jacob does find a wife. He marries. He ends up having um, many sons, right? The 12 sons. Of Jacob, Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and hence you get the twelve tribes or the twelve sons of Israel. And so, as the story unfolds, now descendants are growing, and so we have the promise from Abraham through Isaac, now through Jacob, and so the line of promises going through Jacob's family. And Jacob's family now enlarges into twelve sons, who all have. Uh, kids themselves and and so now you've got a small little tribe of people around Jacob um, and that tribe of people becomes the nation of Israel and um, in time Jacob, and his sons and his grandchildren all move down to Egypt because there's a famine in the land of Canaan. And one of Jacob's son, Joseph, is a high-ranking officer in Egypt. Uh, Long story of how he got there. You can read that in the book of Genesis of how Joseph ended up in Egypt. It had to do with betrayal from his own brothers and selling him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. And in the course of time, through uh, some difficult circumstances and in the providence of God, he ends up as a high-ranking official in Egypt, and God gave him a vision of what was going to come, this famine that was coming, and so he prepared for it. So there's food in the land of Egypt, Um, and Jacob and the rest of Joseph's family all moves down to Egypt and settles down there and uh, are given land there, and they live comfortably in the land of Egypt, but there's still the promise that God's going to give them the land that they moved out of, the land of Canaan. And there's still the promise that this family is going to grow into just uh, descendants that are like the dust of the earth, like the stars in the sky. And so they live in Egypt and they do, they grow and they populate and they become a mighty people living in the land of Egypt. Um, And in the course of time, a new pharaoh arises who doesn't know uh, Joseph, doesn't know their history, doesn't recognize any of that history. And this particular pharaoh Uh, for people like uh, Jacob's family and other people from Semitic tribes enslaves them and makes them um, work for them. And one of the jobs they have to do is make mud bricks, and it, it becomes very difficult. And God then returns to his people when they cry out, and God promises to deliver them. And he raises up Moses to be that deliverer. In the midst of all this, you can read all this story in Genesis and the little, the first little bit of Exodus and then onward into Exodus itself, how God is going to deliver them. All of this is in keeping with his promise and how God is going to take them back up out of Egypt. In fact, uh, you can see... Uh, faith in this promise and, and even the way Joseph died and how he said, uh, when when you leave this land, make sure you take my bones with you into the land that was promised to uh, our fathers and bury me there with them. I mean, they know the promise and they know where God taking them, and they're waiting and they don't know how it's going to unfold. Well, God raises up Moses. God delivers them from Egypt by what we call the exodus, the leading out, the going out of uh, of Egypt, and God uh, brings now this nation of Israel, this people group, these descendants of Jacob, or Israel as Jacob's name was uh, changed to, and they become the people of God, and they meet with God at Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, God promises to them that he is going to take them as his own possession, and they will be his people out of all the peoples of the earth, not because they are great or mighty, they're small and they are insignificant, but God's going to make them his people and he's going to bless them and they will be to him a kingdom of priests, which means they're going to be a nation uh, uh, that kind of stands between all the other nations in God. They represent God to the nations and the nations to God. They're a kingdom of priests and they're going to bring his wisdom and his glory and his blessing to the world in keeping with the promised Abraham restated to Isaac and restated to Jacob. Now we have this nation that is being formed, and they're given a covenant charter, uh, the Ten Commandments, and the, the covenant that goes with them in the book of Exodus, and restated in the book of Deuteronomy. That's what all this is about, is fulfilling the promise to Abraham. They've been waiting and waiting, and by the time we get to Moses and the Exodus, it's been four or 500 years since that promise was first stated to Abraham. That's a lot of waiting. And finally now, we have um, people, descendants, like the sands of the seashore and the stars in the sky being formed into the very people of God with a covenant charter, entering into covenant relationship with God. And that covenant comes with promises, blessings, promises of blessings, and also warnings of curses. Keep the covenant and there will be blessings for you break the covenant, and there will be curses for you. This is the way the covenant would work. Uh, This is an expression of God's grace where he redeemed them and he delivered them, not because they were mighty or great or had kept the covenant. The covenant hadn't even been given yet. He he delivered them and redeemed them by his grace out of Egypt, brought them to himself, and now he gives them the covenant and he calls them to be his covenant people. And they say, we'll do it. We'll be your covenant people. And that brings with it some blessings and some curses, depending on whether or not they keep the covenant. And so in the book of Deuteronomy, when the covenant is restated for the generation of Israelites that is now prepared to go into the promised land and enter into the promised land, God gives them some blessings for keeping the covenant. And this is... The way some of them are stated, for example, Deuteronomy 28, verse 3, You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, they'll all be blessed. Your basket and your kneading bowl will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. And so on and so forth, right? If you'll keep the covenant, there'll be blessings for you. Now, as Deuteronomy 28 goes on, it says... Verse 15, however, if you don't keep the covenant and obey the Lord your God, and you don't carefully follow all his commands, then curses will come upon you. You will be cursed in the city. You'll be cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading bowl will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land, the calves of your herbs, the lambs, your flocks, they'll all be cursed. You'll be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. In other words, like God's covenant promises good for you. And if you keep it, there's wisdom in it and it'll make your land fruitful and productive. It'll make your life good. But if you don't keep it, things aren't going to go well for you. Now, the reality is Moses there, when he's giving those blessings and curses in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 28, Moses actually knows what's going to happen. He knows they're going to be unfaithful. Prophetically, he just knows. Maybe because he's walked with them for 40 years at this point, he's seen their hardness of heart. He's seen how easily they go astray, maybe because God revealed it, maybe a combination of the both, uh, both of those, but God knows. He knows, and he knows that the ultimate curse is not just that the land is going to be cursed, but the ultimate curse is they're going to be kicked out of the land. They're going to go into exile, like Adam and Eve were removed from the Garden of Eden. Well, this being sort of like a new Garden of Eden, if, they don't, if they're not faithful to Yahweh, they too are going to be expelled from the land. And so Moses knows that's going to happen. And he knows that God's going to send a nation upon them and they're going to go into exile. And he promises it at the end of Deuteronomy 28. Then the Lord will scatter you among the nations from one end of the earth to the other. And as you read the story of Israel, that's what happens. Um, They enter into the land of promise and they don't fully do what God asked them to do when they enter into the land of promise. And uh, and they settle into the land. And then you get the book of Judges. And we learn that, man, the people do what's right in their own eyes. They go their own way. And they have moments of faithfulness. And then lots of years of unfaithfulness. And then they suffer oppression because of that. And now they're beginning to experience some of these these curses, some of the bad things that come when they don't uh, follow God and listen to his wisdom and do what he asks. And so they're unfaithful to their covenant and they're unfaithful to their God and life gets hard and then God raises up a deliverer. And so the story of Israel from entering into the promised land, down through the judges, on into the period of the kings with Saul and David and Solomon, and then right up to the divided kingdom, all of that, shows us what Moses promised in Deuteronomy 28. When they were faithful to God and they listened to his word and they did what he said, because it was so wise and it was so rooted in the way things were supposed to work, good things came to them. And when they were unfaithful, um, because that was just breaking the way the things are supposed to work in the world, bad things came to them. And they were unfaithful to their God consistently, and it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse, uh, all the way up until um, what Moses promised would happen did happen. Uh, A foreign nation came and expelled them from the land, and they were led into exile. And so, uh, just as Moses had said, the ultimate curse came, and they were scattered from the land. Now, here's the fascinating thing, though. Even though Moses knew that was going to happen, and in Deuteronomy 28, he said essentially like, look, there's going to be blessings if you obey, curses if you don't. And Moses essentially says, I know you, God knows you, your heart's hard. Curses are kind of going to be your lot, and that's what's going to come. And sure enough, it's what happened. The ultimate curse is going to come. Sure enough, that's what happened. But Deuteronomy 30 um, Moses, after giving these blessings and cursings and after saying it's gonna the, the worst curse that's going to happen is going to happen, Moses promised that when, um, that when that happened, when they were dispersed among the nations, and when your children then, after that happens, and you're, you're sent away into the nations, when that happens and your children return to the Lord your God and obey Him with all your heart, with all your soul, according to everything I command you, then... Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under heavens, from there God will gather you back. Moses knows that their unfaithfulness doesn't mean God is done with them. Doesn't mean God will forget his promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob doesn't mean God will forget what he promised for them. God knows that he will... They will be unfaithful, but he will also bring them back. And he promises not only to bring them back, but even in verse 6 of Deuteronomy 30, to circumcise their hearts and the hearts of their descendants. Why? So that they will actually love him. There's going to be something more needed than just coming back to the land, something more needed than just a physical circumcision. They're going to need a heart circumcision, a heart change, so that they can love him with all their heart and all their soul and live and do what God wants them to do. And when you read the story of Israel, the story that we're a part of, it's a story of unfaithfulness and gracious promise. Like God promises to be their God. God's going to make them a kingdom of priests, but God knows they're going to be unfaithful and they're not going to live out their calling to be a kingdom of priests. and, and, The result is they're going to experience all sorts of difficulty and ultimately they're going to be taken away from the land. But God promises to bring them back. God promises to do good to them. God promises to change their heart so that they'll actually obey uh, the covenant that he made with them and keep his laws. And in fact, when you look through the Old Testament prophets during this time period when their unfaithfulness was just deep and the threat of foreign oppression and foreign exile was on the political and sociological horizon on almost a a daily basis through those prophets. God continued to promise, even though they were unfaithful. And even though the, the vast majority of them didn't keep God's covenant, God does not forget them. And so you get all sorts of promises that those who did faithfully believe in God, who did want to keep his covenant, those who did hear his word could cling to. And so you get promises like this one from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Then, at that point, a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse. Who's Jesse? Well, Jesse is the father of King David, the the kind of great king who becomes sort of like the the, the one through whom the promise of the Messiah now comes through, right? You have the promise to Abraham, the promise to Isaac, the promise to Jacob. Well, that promise gets focused now on the royal line of, of David and Jesse is David's father. And so now there's going to be a shoot will spring up from the, the stump of Jesse. In other words, even though they're going to go into exile and David's dynasty is going to be cut down and look like it's over, Look like that, that promise to David that he's going to have descendants on his throne forever. It looks like it's over because it's cut, cut down into just a stump. Well, guess what? A shoot's going to spring up out of that stump of Jesse. A branch will come out of his roots and will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is a promise that there is going to be a new king on the line of David, a new king that will be anointed, a Messiah will come. That's the promise. And so even during these dark, days of unfaithfulness, even during these dark days of the threat of exile, even during these dark days where a curse begins to fall upon the land, even in these dark days, there's a promise of an anointed one, a ruler that will come forth from David's line. A Messiah is yet to come. You get promises like uh, this one from Micah chapter 5 verse 2, but as for you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Too little to be among the clans of Judah, right? You're not very important. You seem insignificant. You're kind of nothing big. Too small to be important, Bethlehem. From you, O Bethlehem, one will come forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago. Like he's existed from the distant past, from the days of eternity. But he's going to come forth somehow From you, O Bethlehem. And so we get this promise for the little town of Bethlehem that there will be uh, a king that comes out of them. Um, And so here's this promise in the midst of these dark days that somehow a king's going to come, and the king's going to come from Bethlehem, and he's going to be a ruler on behalf of God, and he's going to be a ruler whose days were from eternity. Or you get this famous, well-known promise from Isaiah chapter 9 The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. The darkness of oppression, the darkness of exile, the darkness of curse, they will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Why? For unto us a child is born, a son is given. And the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his kingdom or his peace and on the throne of david and over david's kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore the zeal of the lord almighty will accomplish this and so we get this promise in the dark days of unfaithfulness and curse the promise of a king not just any king the king the great king god's king who will reign in righteousness and bring justice to the world this is advent this is what the world was waiting for and longing for and looking for this was what those that the remnant of the faithful among the Jews during those dark days of unfaithfulness were hoping in that somehow some way even though the stump of, of David's kingdom had been cut down somehow god would send forth his king And they were waiting and watching and praying and hoping that the king would come. And this is the very hope that was celebrated in the well-known Christmas carol that we sing uh, this time of year. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. So, the story of Israel is the story of covenant and failure, of blessing and curse, of destruction and promise. And in the end, their unfaithfulness proves to be too great. And too persistent. And so like Adam and Eve being banished from the garden, Israel will be banished from the land. And all seems lost. But the promise still remains. And the promise now is zeroing in on a child. On a ruler. A ruler from the line of David. A ruler that will come out of the little town of Bethlehem. And so the story of Israel In the book of Kings and Chronicles, arrives at a point in about 586 BC where Israel, God's people, unfaithful, uh, Israel going away into exile. And yet, in spite of her exile because of her unfaithfulness, Israel still waits for the promise. Israel still carries the promise for which all the world longs and hopes even if they don't know it. And Advent celebrates that waiting for that coming of that King. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Thanks for, again, for your uh, faithful support and being a part of the Bible and Life family. I pray you have a blessed Christmas season. You have a blessed Advent season as you remember what the world once was waiting for, what has now come, and what we still wait for in the future. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas season. I look forward to talking with you again next week.